The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 199 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks and by Gusto. FreshBooks offering a free 30-day trial with access to all their features. To find out more, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Gusto is refreshingly easy payroll, benefits, and HR for the modern small business. Currently offering an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash read to lead. Interviewing and the questions you ask and even the environment you create really sets the tone for the quality of candidate and, and you getting to a deeper understanding of what they're capable of. Hey there, welcome to the Read Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Brown. I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. The Read Lead Podcast is not only going to help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but help bring you key ideas and valuable insights from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors, in other words, our guests. In a moment, you and I will be joined by my latest guest, Mr. Chris Mefford. He's the author of Hiring, Firing, and Creating an Amazing Team Culture for Leaders in a Hurry. I'm going to be asking Chris to share about the oft-dreaded mission statement and why it is key that you go through this process. Successful interviewing strategies, including some of Chris's favorite breakthrough questions to ask. What to do if you're a leader who struggles with things like trust and delegation and much, much more. The Read to Lead podcast would not be possible without the help of folks like Gusto and FreshBooks. Chances are you've never heard of Gusto. Well, Gusto is a refreshingly easy payroll benefits and HR solution for the modern small business. If you run a small business, you know payroll and benefits are hard. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, right? And let's face it, old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we work today. The thing I like about Gusto is Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small business owners like you and me. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's so easy to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. Right now, just for you, Gusto is offering an exclusive limited-time deal. You sign up today, and you get three months free once you run your first payroll. It's that simple. To find out more, just go to gusto.com slash read to lead. And if you've been listening to Read to Lead at all over the last couple of years, you're probably by now familiar with cloud accounting software FreshBooks. Have you not tried it yet? Why not? There's absolutely no risk in doing so. You can get access to all of FreshBooks features for 30 days absolutely free. You may have heard me say before, I've been using FreshBooks for almost a decade. I haven't used anything else. I've never needed anything else when it comes to cloud accounting software for my business. Things are quick. They're simple. They just work. We're in tax season now. I don't have to worry about all the headaches of creating reports and figuring out what's going on at any given point in time. FreshBooks makes it so simple with just a couple of clicks here and there. That information is at my fingertips and I love FreshBooks. 
If you want to find out more about that free trial, again, no obligation, no credit card needed to sign up. Check it out for 30 days and see if you don't like it as much as I do. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and then enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Chris Mefford has coached leaders from businesses and nonprofit organizations nationwide. He's offered his expertise and insights to assist senior executives and small business entrepreneurs to build better cultures, turn around underperformance, hire the right employees, know when to let people go, implement efficient processes, manage finances, and, oh, this is important, implement the organization's mission all while making money and changing lives. Chris even played a part in helping the Ramsey organization win the Best Place to Work in Nashville Award for eight straight years. Chris is a former high school teacher and holds an MBA from the prestigious Odette School of Business at the University of Windsor. His new book is called Hiring, Firing, and Creating an Amazing Team Culture for Leaders in a Hurry. And he's also a personal friend. Not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Either way, Chris, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. I think it's a good thing, Jeff. <laughs> well, uh, you know, all of us at, at one time or another, I think, and this is where I want to start, by the way, this whole uh, idea of mission statements and, and, and how to craft them. We've all sat through that long, boring, hey, let's craft a, a mission statement meeting. So, so start by sharing your view on the role and importance of the right mission statement, generally speaking, but also you know, its impact on, on the hiring and, and firing process going forward. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I hate that we have to start with mission statements. They're so boring. <laughs> I mean, nobody loves them. They're so silly. Most of the time, they're just printed on the wall or they're put in the employee manual and they're never spoke of again. As I wrote the book, I thought that really the best place to start is the mission statement. And so obviously the best place to start this podcast is the mission statement. But it, I, I want to recognize this is not the most exciting. It's not the Indiana Jones we're running through, you know, the jungles that start to the movie. But mission statements really are the guiding principle. And if they're done correctly, they can help transform an organization in ways that most people just aren't even aware of. Mm. You know, there's a, there's this great line in Alice in Wonderland where the Cheshire cat goes, hey, where are you going? He asks Alice and Alice says, uh, which way should I go? And the cat says, well, that depends on where you're going. And Alice says, well, I don't know. And the cat says, then it doesn't really matter which way you go. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the essence of the, the mission statement. I think they're written and oftentimes they, um, they're written in ways that, that aren't useful. You know, I even think there's a mission statement generator online that comes up with words like paradigm and, and things like that to throw mm -hmm. in uh, for fun. But if you really keep them simple and short and to the point and focused, I think they really can help guide your organization to where you want to go. And then from there, you start to build the foundation uh, of what it is you're trying to achieve. Hey, Chris, I want to get to the bit of the, of the hiring process. This is something you have a lot of experience doing. What are, what are some examples of times or, or circumstances maybe when you, you shouldn't hire? And, and what do you need to keep in mind when the time is Right. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, you definitely shouldn't hire under three circumstances, um, I think, right off the top of when you're desperate. You know, if mm -hmm. you've gotten to the point where you're just completely desperate, chances are when you're desperate, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to hire anybody that walks in the door <laughs> and you're not going to think about how this person can help you grow as an organization, grow, help you grow professionally, personally um, and also um, culturally. And so when you hire, when you're desperate, you've really gotten to a point where 
um, it's bad news. And that doesn't mean that you you really need to hire someone. That means you hired someone too quickly. Mm. You were desperate. You just need anybody in the door. And so organizations that grow that quickly usually uh, tend to die quickly as well because that, the culture is too impacted. They can't keep up. There's not enough proper training. Um, and it just goes uh, down the drain really quickly. I think another time when you shouldn't hire is when the candidate is the only candidate, mm. um, meaning that you sort of fell in love with the first candidate that you came across and you're like, oh, this person's great. They want to work here. They applied. They're happy <laughs> to, to join the team. Let's hire them. And you really haven't done a good vetting and to see what's out there, how they stack up against maybe other candidates that come in. I used to be guilty of this a lot, to be honest. You know, I'd fall in love with these candidates early on. Um, this is great. And then what I discovered is I, is I took my time and maybe added a second or third interview or had other people talk to them. My excitement waned. Um, I, you know, they didn't seem to get more excited about the job as I got more excited about hiring them and it just kind of it, it tailed off and so you know hiring the first candidate that walks in the door sometimes that that works out there have been an occasion where I, I went back and ended up hiring that first person but not until I had a good um, number of quality candidates come through that I was able to sort of gauge and judge how they stacked up against the rest of the competition if you will and then um, you know when it comes to job posting essentially uh, most organizations fail uh, to think about the person applying for the job when they post a job if that makes sense. So mm. here's what I mean is a lot of organizations and companies will say, here's what we want. And they'll have this long list of skills that you need. And that's it. And so when you think about how you can personally impact this person's life, he'll be joining your team and you make the job scenario into, hey, if you join our organization, you'll grow professionally. It will be the best job you've ever had. Uh, personally, you'll grow. The organization you're going to join is full of momentum and excitement and with the training and quality of work you're going to do. And you're going to potentially help us change the world, depending on what it is that you're actually hiring for. And when you say it like that, I tend to get more excited mm. about your job. And so versus, you know, a commodity base is I'm just going to check off a box. OK, these I have these skills, I'll apply versus, oh, my gosh, I want to apply for this company. I'll do whatever it takes to work here. I mean, there's a different change in um and the quality of candidates that you bring into the organization or that apply, depending on how you write that job description. And it's the number one way I think most organizations fail to take advantage of getting great quality candidates in the door. You know, as I read that, that part of the book, I was reminded, and I had completely forgotten about this, I was reminded of hiring experiences I had along the way. And there were some times where I decided to break away from the norm and get a little creative with with writing the job description. I didn't seek uh, HR's permission first. I just it had to had to go through them, but I thought I'm just going to do this and see what happens. And I tried to inject not just, you know, my sort of leadership personality into the job description, but also you know, make it fun and kind of reflect the culture of the company in the job description. And what I found is exactly what you said. The, the quality of people who came through were better and the response to, to, the, to the job posting was much stronger as well. A lot of companies or leaders or, or people will leave the hiring up to the HR team or mm. to an outside agency and I will allow them sort of 50% of that um, <laughs> quality control. But mm. I want to act as sort of the general manager of the team. You know, in, in this one of my favorite movies, Miracle, about the 1980 mm. U.S. hockey teams when uh, there's this great line in there by Herb Brooks, Kurt Russell, who plays her Brooks. And he says, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. Mm. And so many times people say that, but that's not true. 
Mm. You know, they, they're checking boxes. This person has an MBA. This person has 10 years experience. Let's get them in. We feel, and then the HR team says, we feel like we get, we gave you a great candidate or you say on paper that you look great and you put them in a chair and they're miserable mm. and they, they don't fit with the team. You know, a great example is I was hiring uh, this event producer one time and they were going to help us travel all over the country and put events on. And this person had actually hosted one of the presidential debates at his organization at, at the event center he worked at. He had an MBA. You know, he had years of experience, run this thing for 10 years, clearly qualified. And so I got him on the phone, which I like to do at first. I don't like to bring him in or anything. I just like to get him on the phone and see if they can complete sentences, if there's <laughs> sort of an energy or chemistry, if you will, between what we're doing. And, and you would weed out. I weeded out probably 70 percent of the candidates just with a 10 minute phone call. Mm. And um, I said, so tell me exactly why you want to work here. And he says to me, didn't you read my cover letter? Um <laughs> And I remember being blown away, like, because it was sort of a t-ball question. Mm. You know, here's a chance for you to tell me about why you're energetic and enthusiastic. And instead, he kind of showed his personality, which was, I put it all in the cover letter. You should read that and then get back to me. It was like, you know, clearly we weren't going to jive. He may have the greatest quality of uh, and experience, but we weren't going to jive personality-wise from the start. And so there was no reason to pursue it anymore. And so just saying, you know, taking that sense of, do they fit? Is it the mm. right person for the team? You know, it's it's easier said than done. So many times things are easier said than done. You know, where I used to work at the Ramsey organization, we made, you know, a million dollars of business out of teaching people to live on less money than they they make. Don't mm. spend more than you make. Jenny Craig, you know, she's made a hundred million dollar corporation out of consume less calories than you burn. Mm. Um, it's just common sense, but it's so difficult sometimes for us to adhere to that common sense. And so, of course, we want uh, the best players, but that's not always who we end up allowing ourselves. We settle in the process. And settling is never good for anyone. You shared a little bit of this, but I'd love for you to share more about some of your favorite questions to ask during an interview. The ones that you feel have led to some of the most eye-opening insights, if you will. Yeah, in the interviewing process, I tend to like to ask questions that are complex. Because I feel like a complex question really demonstrates your thinking ability. You know, how quickly can you think in a stressful situation? You know, interviews, especially first interviews, can be somewhat stressful. You don't know me that well. I don't know you. You don't know what to expect. You're kind of hoping you want this job, which is why you're here. I'm kind of hoping you'll you'll take this job, but I want to make sure you're you're going to raise the game of everybody on the team. And so I don't like questions of tell me your strengths and weaknesses. Tell me, you know, the big, biggest project you worked on. I want to dive deeper. You know, I ask questions like, how exactly does your company make money and what are the two biz- biggest expenses? Like how, you know, I love that question because it's like, you know, how in tune are you with the organization you currently work with? What type of work environment is most motivating to you? Describe the pace at which you typically like to work in the office and the speed of your colleagues as it relates to you. And does that frustrate you or excite you? Mm. What would your most respected critics say of your strengths and areas for development? I like to take them personally out of the situation. Mm. And I want to know what how they would run it through that filter of their of their sort of their colleagues. Interesting. Um, and, you know, I love the question, um, do you consider yourself lucky? Um, I feel like people who consider themselves lucky or sometimes people feel they're blessed are generally prepared for life. And those people who consider them plucky or blessed tend to be better prepared individuals. And so I like to throw that out there. And probably my favorite question is, um, and if you go to the, my website, Jeff, you can download 20 of the, the most important questions I like to ask in any interview that sort of gets to the, the crux that are really all complex. You know, tell me about a time that 
you helped the organization grow and walk me through that process and what were some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that were put in front of you and how did you react to those? Mm. Like that's not a yes or no. And it's a, <laughs> you have to think pretty quickly on your feet. Um, and then finally, I like to, I call it the pageant question. You know, tell me what the biggest issue today facing our country is and why. Mm. Um, and I like it because it's so out of left field. It doesn't have anything <laughs> to do with the role. Yeah. Um, it kind of throws them off a little bit, but I can start to see how they process things quickly. And in that situation, I want to know, you know, I'm not really looking for a right or wrong answer. I just want to know how you answer it, mm. um, how quickly you can construct sort of a, a complex answer and sort of convince me that that is the issue that's facing it. And did you just give me a one? Like usually if they'll come in and say, well, I think it's debt or I think it's, you know, that's not really well thought out and, and comprehensive. And so I like that question. And, you know, to be fair, you know, a lot of times we see these pageant questions. We see these gals that kind of bomb. <laughs> Uh, in that portion of the talent show, I was just thinking about it. And I will, I can, I'm here to tell you that more men bomb on that question than women. Mm. And if men had these talent shows or whatever, the way that these pageants, the way these women do, there would be just as many YouTube videos out there. <laughs> uh, we were all looking at and, and going viral uh, with wow. their their answers. Talking about luck and 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 preparation, I think it was uh, Louis Pasteur who said, uh, "Luck favors the prepared mind." The, yes. the, the more prepared I am, the luckier I become or something. Like that. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. But, you know, I think I think the ultimate takeaway here, Jeff, on the interview questions are think about it. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, think about the goal that you want out of this role. And then how can you go and get the heart of who this person is and if they can handle it? For instance, I used to have these couple of positions that were very stressful positions. And so I would try and mimic that stressful situation mm. in the interview. If I had 30 minutes or, or 60 minutes, usually 30, I would interrupt them constantly. <laughs> I would throw new questions at them before they had finished answering the other question. You know, I had a colleague of mine said they got an, uh, an email back from someone I'd interviewed that they knew. And they said that was literally the craziest interview I'd ever been in. And I wasn't really looking again for answers. I wanted to know how they handled the situation. Did they start to sweat? Did they break out? Did they start to stammer? You know, could they hang in there with me? Could they banter? And I wasn't doing it sort of a, to make them feel uncomfortable. I was doing it to protect them. Like if they could handle that stressful situation and organize answers and, and completely kind of flow with it, then the chances are they were going to do really well in this job. But had they not been able to, and we didn't go through that experience, they would just get eaten up by this job. And so there's a level of, hey, I've got to protect them. I don't want to put people in that role that I'm going to set up to fail. Interviewing and the questions you ask and even the environment you create really sets the tone for the quality of candidate and, and you getting to a deeper understanding of what they're capable of. You know, I would do interviews in a conference room. I might do them in my office. I might do them at a coffee shop. It depended on what kind of attitude or atmosphere I wanted to create to get a sense of who they were. And I like the coffee shop or lunch because I feel like it, people begin to sort of let their guard down and you start to really see who they are as a person. Uh, now that we've hired the right people, let's look at another area of, of struggle oftentimes for leaders, and that's trusting those people uh, and particularly getting good at delegating is what I, what I want to dig into. The lack of delegation or the fear of just trusting your people to do what you've hired them to do is, is often centered around this, oh, it's only going to get done right if I do it myself kind of uh, thinking. What what advice would you give, Chris, to a leader who in an attempt at maybe perfection struggles with with delegation and, and just trusting their, the people they've hired? 
I think there's a few problems that, that leaders encounter when it comes to trusting the people they hired. One is, I'll tell you a quick story. I hired this gal to be my assistant. And after about a month or two, it just wasn't working out. I was so frustrated. Every time I'd give her something to do, she would reply back with more questions. And it just felt like I ended up answering all her questions. And, and it felt like I was doing all the work. <laughs> and it just wasn't working. So I remember I, I was sort of young. And I went into my boss and said, hey, she's not working out. I really think we need to start to think about how we can uh, transition her out or move along. And, and so he said, tell me what's going on. And he looked at me and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you know what? She's not the problem. You are. <laughs> she, you're not talking to her in a way she understands. You know, you hired her because she was really good at details and managing things and you're really good at vision and you don't like the details, but you're not allowed, you're not giving her any, any information. Like you have to give her more information so she can succeed. And so I remember I went back and I sat down and said, okay, let's do this. I'm going to give you more information and you're going to take the information I give you and go from there. Let's meet halfway. So she said, okay. And so from that day forward, the things we accomplished together were incredible and the amount of work we got done. And so in a sense, I wasn't trusting her and that, you know, that she knew the best way to operate and we weren't communicating. And so there's a sense of trust in that you're the problem sometimes. Um, <laughs> And so when you, do, when you fail to trust as a leader, you sort of set your team up for failure. Mm. And so if you find it difficult to trust, there's usually a few things playing in hand. They, want it, they won't do it as well as I can. They won't do it as good as I can. Mm. I trust them, but I don't really trust them to get this project done because it's really important. Or I can just do it and I can do it faster. And so those are the things that I think leaders try to convince themselves or tell them, to which I say, you're the leader, fix, the, fix your team. Either get people on your team that you can trust or train them up to a point where you feel like you can trust them or get them out. But you're not doing yourself or your company or your department or whoever it might be any favors by bringing people in and failing to trust. You know, Jeff, I'll go into sort of why I think that happens, if mm -hmm. that's okay. There's yeah. a delegation situation that goes on. And I think two things are at play. There's this fear of letting go. But I think really what it speaks to is a fear of facing the new and unknown so here's what I mean. As a leader, if I have to trust you and give you more projects and give up the work that I say can't be done as well as I can, that means I free up time. And now I have to find space and things to fill up that time with. Mm. And figuring that out because you're in a comfortable situation, if I can just blame my team Mm, and, and mm. say to them, I don't trust them, so that's why I'm doing it, then that lets me stay in my comfortable position. I've got this. My team needs mm. me. I'm sort of a martyr. I take it for the team. My team's not great, but if I give this up, then I'll have to figure out new things and new ways to drive the company. And there's a fear on my part that I won't take that seriously or that makes me nervous of how to move forward. And so you sort of live in this comfortable zone where you blame your team, but it's really your fault because you're afraid to move forward because you're not exactly sure what the next steps need to be. Hmm. Well, Chris, having had a huge hand in helping the Ramsey organization earn that award we talked about earlier, what, what would you say are, are the keys to, to building an enduring company culture uh, much the way you did there? Well, I will say I played a part, but it was the entire organization kind of grew together to help to win that award. Mm -hmm. But I think first and foremost, communication. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said earlier, when you don't communicate with your team clearly, you end up wasting a lot of time making up for it by having to redo things. And, and communication, as Jim Collins says, is 
you know, are, are what take organizations from good to great, mm. great teams and companies and corporations over communicate. Um, and if you've ever worked in an organization where you feel like you're not in the know or they don't share enough information, there's a sense of fear that creeps in. It doesn't feel like an empowering place to work. And you wonder like, hey, are we, is, is this involved state secrets? Like we're just really talking about <laughs> was the process that we're working on successful or not? You know, why, why the, the shield of secrecy? And I feel like it's a control issue. Mm. And usually it's a control issue for leaders who are insecure. And so be transparent with your team. You know, I joined a, an organization once where the department I was in was really losing money. Mm. And I kept trying to figure out how to do it. And I had eight or 10 people who were responsible for spending money and organizing budgets and they just weren't up to speed. And so every month I'd have to go down and sit in front of uh, our CFO and kind of make an account of what's going on. And I'd walk him through the sort of the process. And finally it hit me. I'm like, I'm done with this. Mm. I am bringing one of these guys with me <laughs> each time because I want them to experience what's going on. Mm. And so I did that. And then I went and I opened up the books for the whole department. You know, I didn't say here's what everybody makes, but just, mm. you know, here's the budgets. Here's where we're at. And I put everybody who spent money on the team, significant money in the same room. And I threw it open and said, help me figure this out. I can't do it on my own. Unless you guys are on board, I can't figure this out. And what happens was, I think the lesson here I'm trying to get at is transparency. A lot of people are like, wow, you did that. Why did you do that? That was risky. And I said, well, I think ultimately I did it because for two reasons. One, I, I needed their help. Mm -hmm. I didn't genuinely know how to solve this problem because they had a lot more information than I could ever possibly imagine. You know, there were 10 of them and there was just one of me. And two, they saw that I asked for help, which means that they're more likely to ask for help. That it's not a burden of shame if you ask your leader or someone on the team with a complex situation that you can't figure out for help. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was in a meeting once and I tried to make a change to one of the things that we were doing. And one of these people that spent money um, that was in that original meeting looked at me and said, if you do that, that tweaks the budget. I have to change that just so you know. And I almost had to leave the room and start crying <laughs> because it really, they had gotten it. Like that had never happened before mm. where these people now were fighting for the budgets that they had put in place. I, so I think, you know, how, how to make a great culture, communication, trust, clarity, mm. transparency, eliminate that fear, um, intentionally create an environment that's fun. And I don't mean like these manufactured HR parties that are kind of lame, but genuinely do things that and spend time with your people. You know, that's why I think the hiring process is so important when it comes to building a culture and getting rid of people is I don't care if you're, you're the most qualified candidate. I don't care if you sort of line up with our culture and everything that we do. Here's what I care about as just as much, not mm. only, but just as much is that if we get along and we can be friends, you know, do I want to go out and, and sit down and have dinner with you outside of work potentially, you know, if we're going to travel together, do you, are you even someone I want to travel with? And when I hired people that I kind of respected in that way, mm. Um, that made me better and that would raise a level of the team, everybody got on board and it really became a fun, fun place to work. And so don't discredit yourself by saying, hey, we just have to hire the best candidate. Hire the right candidate that fits in with you and your personality. If you're hiring, the great thing is you get to hire people that you want to hire. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. <laughs> well, Chris says that, that holding your team accountable is the missing link to greatness. I, I love that phrase. What, what are some examples, Chris, of, of how you've seen that play out in, in your experience? 
I feel like first off, we try and hold accountability is tough. You know, people genuinely want to be held accountable, but they don't want to have the consequences that come with being unaccountable. Mm. Just leave me alone. Let me do my own thing, which is great, except your own thing impacts my thing. <laughs> and so uh, I got to make sure you're doing it. Mm. And I feel like there's a lot of complexity and all these metrics that we try and put in place. And Jeff, I really just use four metrics on my team. Are you performing poorly? Are you performing? Are you progressing? Are you prospering? Simple as that. Like we don't need to get overly dramatic about all these these things that, you know, did you, how many meetings did you have? How many calls did you make? Like genuinely, if you're out in the trenches with your team, and which you should be, and you're not just hiding in your office every day because you've got so much work to do, then you'll know where people are at. And so I just said, you know, I want everybody to be performing. Are you showing up? Are you doing your work? Are you doing the bare minimum? Um, if that's the case, then I need to move you into the progressing stage. And then finally, the prospering stage where prospering stage is sort of these A players that you never want to get rid of, your best players. But you always want to be progressing. And so the people who are just sort of performing and, and doing poor, you want to sort of say, hey, if we meet again, like in 90 days or, or 60 days or whatever the, the timeline may be for growth, if you're still here, we're going to need to talk about, you know, maybe transitioning you and moving you someplace else or moving you out altogether. But here's a, another classic example, holding somebody accountable. I used to have these two team members that would come in and they would complain incessantly to me in my office privately about each other. <laughs> and I finally said, it's, I just said, you know what? I feel like we're in the seventh grade. I'm not in the seventh grade. I'm trying to run an organization. So I said to my team, if you come to me and you tell me something, I'm going to deal with it. I'm not going to let it fester. I'm not going to let you come in here and tell me things about this person, that person, and not expect me to fix it and say, don't, don't do anything about it. Mm. Like that's silly. So I would literally call them into my office and I would say, hey, Jeff, Lisa says this. Lisa, Jeff says this. Which is it? <laughs> and it was the most uncomfortable experience for the two of them because they really just called on the carpet, sort of held accountable for what they were saying. Mm. And I would literally sit on my phone there and just kind of answer email <laughs> as I sat on my desk there and kind of stared. And they would work it out. And almost 100% of the time, it was they just weren't talking to each other. They just weren't talking to each other. Oh, I didn't understand that you were doing that. Oh, I didn't understand you had a deadline for this. But the other thing that happened was they knew if they started complaining like that, I was going to call them in my office. And it was, it's really sort of an embarrassing situation. Mm. So they started handling things on their own um, and, and managing themselves in that regard, which is what you ultimately want. And so when you hold your team accountable and you deal with things immediately, um, hey, I noticed you just did this. Hey, you said that we couldn't possibly do this or this couldn't be done. And from the looks of it, we just did it. Why did you tell me that? Right. I would like I had that conversation more than more times than I ever want to dream of having it. And so and you've probably experienced in your life. We can't possibly do it. We can't do it. There's no way we don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. And yet it happened. And so I always circled up with them and said, hey, you said we couldn't do this. Why did you say that? That sets the tone of accountability. They're going to think harder next time when they say something can't be done. And so accountability really helps you achieve your goals. Accountability is there for you to sort of be constructive because we all want to improve, but we often won't go there on our own. Our minds are drawn to clarity, but our minds are also drawn to the easiest route. Mm. And sometimes and often at work and what we're trying to do, things aren't easy. We're trying to change the world. That's not an easy task. <laughs> As a leader, you've got to sort of remind them that they are trying to change the world, remind them that this was hard and is hard and that we need to achieve this together. And that's why these things are in place. And that's why I'm going to hold you accountable is because I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Mm.
And it's amazing when you can get a couple of people to, to start communicating like that and they realize just how many assumptions they've been making about <laughs> actions the other person are doing. Just like in marriage, you know, if you're not effectively communicating with your spouse, you can just make assumptions that just on the surface look like you got it pegged or whatever, but you're completely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I think, Jeff, this kind of goes in with these last two or three questions you've asked, but I think great companies, leaders and organizations kind of share the good news and the bad news. Mm. I've been a part of teams where they only share the good news. And I've been a part of teams where they overshare the bad news, Mm. where it seems dire when it's really not the case at all. I was talking on a podcast with uh, Ken Blanchard from the One Minute Manager fame. Mm. And um, he said, nobody ever wishes their boss would tell them good job less, you know, and wishes they would tell them bad job more. He said, but why do we do that as leaders? We constantly act as if there's not good news to share or spread around or give credit for. Mm. And we kind of discuss the bad parts of everybody's job and that level of accountability in a way that makes it difficult and makes it uncomfortable and makes the job seem heavy. What if you said to someone that they were doing a good job just as often as you said to someone, hey, we need to raise our game. He said that would change their perspective. And so share the good news and the bad news equally. And I think people will really start to respect you a great deal more uh, because of it. Well, Chris, I have a, a couple of questions I want to ask you that aren't uh, directly related to the book, if I may. But first, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know? For example, we haven't really delved into how to fire someone. Well, uh, <laughs> that's why you should uh, pick up the book uh, on Amazon. Or actually, uh, if you go to chrismever.com, you can download it for free, um, the audiobook and the ebook. Awesome. But I'll tell you, uh, when it comes to firing, I- I'm not a big fan of people who say hire slow or fire fast or hire fast and fire fast kind of deal. I feel like, you know, in that situation, you hired them, you spent, you you wasted the company and organization, your business's energy and resources, bring them on board. Why would you want to fire them fast? Like the hiring process is so exhausting mm. when done properly. The, the last thing you want to do is have to fire someone. That, that, that's why we're, the hiring process needs to be so heavily weighted on the front end. So you don't have to fire people. You don't have to do this kind of process. But when you do, it should never be a surprise. No one should ever get fired and go, what? I had no idea. <laughs> it shouldn't be because you should be dealing as a leader. You should be dealing with the issues, walking them through, saying in 30 days, if I don't see a change, you know, I even go as as to say faux fire someone, which is you call them in and tell them, hey, I don't think it's going to work out. Like here, you need to give you 30 more days um, to make these changes. But I, just, I don't see it happening, Jeff. It's just, you know, we've been down this road and I don't think you're going to make it. Mm. And that's worked for me on a couple of occasions where two people, it, it was like basically it crystallized in front of their eyes that everything was coming to a head mm. and they and they changed everything drastically and they ended up being two of the best players I've ever had. I find that that works really well with difficult team players who are, are really hard driving thoroughbreds, if you will, mm. that have always been sort of hard to kind of break <laughs> and sort of fit into this mold you need for the cohesiveness for the team to thrive. But uh, firing should really be done in a, in a very honoring sense mm. and a sense that it shouldn't be a surprise because if you fire emotionally, you really just put your whole company, organization, department in a poor position. What happens is when you fire, the people that are there on the team, they see how that happened. And you create a sense of fear now in them because if they, if you can just fire someone willy-nilly because of this or that – without much warning, that can happen to them. And so they're nervous. And so you need, when you fire someone, you need to think just as much about the team that you're, is going to stay. And so how, they're watching. And if you don't want to kind of create this sense of fear or uncertainty, then you need to walk them through and show, hey, when you get asked to leave the organization, we're going to do it in a very honoring and very kind sense, not a very harsh mm. and, and embarrassing way. 
Think about the books you've read over the years, Chris. What would you say are the two or three titles that, that immediately come to mind as having had the, the biggest impact on you and why? Um, a couple of books. Lynchpin, I loved by Seth Godin. I didn't even actually read the whole thing. <laughs> I got to this section, I think it was about a third of the way through, and he was talking about the kind of people that uh, most leaders or organizations want when asked. And they said, I just want someone who shows up on time, doesn't create drama, and does what they're supposed to do. And I remember uh, reading that, and then Seth Godin in the very next sentence says, ironically, those people never get promoted. <laughs> um, and, I, and I don't think it's the people that don't show up on time that get promoted. I think it's the people that just kind of find a flow and don't ever sort of challenge the status quo, aren't trying to drive the organization to be better. Um, and I was in a situation in my life where that was the case. I literally said, look, I'm so frustrated. I'm just going to come in and sit here and just do my job and I'm not going to do anything. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, that's me. That's me. I'm frustrated because I want to be honest and I want the company to be better and I can't get them to notice. And so I crafted an email and sent it to leadership. I copied my boss, you know, I didn't want to keep him out of the loop, but just said, hey, I'm frustrated. Here's why I'm frustrated. And my boss came to me and said, hey, I wish you wouldn't have done that. That was frustrating to me and also embarrassing. But you know what else happened? His boss came down and said, let's talk. <laughs> this is incredible. I didn't know these frustrations. And so it was, oh, it was wow. really started my trajectory. I ended up getting promoted out of that. And so Lynchpin for me was that. Um, then another book I really love, Jeff, is called Insanely Simple, The Obsession That Drives Apple Success. And uh, it was written by Ken Segal. He worked for Shiat Day, the ad agency that Apple used to use. I don't know if they still do exclusively for all their ads and all their cool, trendy kind of iconic stuff that they did. And he writes about being involved in these meetings with Steve Jobs, looking at it from the outside. He wasn't in the organization. And I think sometimes as leaders, we can look at these large companies like Apple and say, we can never recreate that. We couldn't do things like that. And, you know, these big guys have all this money and he sort of starts at the ground and he talks just simple things that Steve Jobs is and how he ran a meeting. And I just love it because it was just really good practical stuff for anybody to use and just how he was passionate about staying on task. And he was passionate about not letting sort of mission creep flow in on these projects. And he was passionate about keeping the meetings just to the principals who needed to be there. And, and you weren't allowed as a principal to bring in someone who could speak on on an issue on your behalf because they've been working on it. It was your job to learn from them and come in and present. Like, this is how we're going to get things done. And so I really loved that book, those two books, uh, for that reason, mostly because I'm pretty sure you hadn't read Insanely Simple. And I know you read a million books and I was trying to throw one out there that you might not have gotten your hands on. Well, it's funny you should <laughs> say that because I've not only read it, but if you <laughs> if you go back 190 episodes to episode nine of Read to Lead, we've actually had Ken on the show. Oh, I love it. Look, you just, <laughs> dropped, it was, you just said scoreboard on me. I love <laughs> Chris, uh, I know you not only do your your own uh, fair amount of, of public speaking, uh, but you have certainly witnessed some of the best at this at this craft many many times. And I'd love to know what some of your tips are for delivering uh, an impactful and, and memorable public talk. What advice would you give to someone wanting to get really good at that? Oh man, um, two pieces of advice. One is practice. Mm -hmm. um, keep it simple. You're saying way too much. I've worked with authors, Jeff, who have sold millions of books mm. and been on the New York Times bestseller, and they have spoken all over the world. Um, and then I watch their talk and think, wow, how did you, I mean, how did this happen? <laughs> and, and I don't mean that from an arrogant stance, but it's just, you know, I, one of my jobs for over 10 years was to work with speakers and do this kind of thing and create events. And really probably the biggest advice I would have is cut back what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Just keep it really simple. You're overcomplicating things and make it clear and concise. You know, what are the three things you want people to walk away from your talk with? That's it. 
and then tell three stories that back that up um, and then move on. I think that is probably the best thing advice I can give you is sort of start with a story end with a, a story and in the middle drop some of your nuggets that you've got and you know stop dropping all this data and information and mm. and and share stories that are really relevant you know i heard a guy just this past weekend at a digital marketing conference and uh he was just quoting things from books but there was no practical application no like ah, i was working with this company and this is what happened and here's what here's the result mm. and i think ultimately that's what people are looking for is how do i apply this to me um and how do i apply it to my life and i would even recommend if you had anybody out there who was going to speak or had to stand up and present. Um, there's a fantastic book out there by John James C. Hume called Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. And anybody that ever spoke that I ever met, I always recommend this book because it's just a really good book from two great orators of their craft. And uh, there is so much to be learned on how to take a stage and sort of hold the audience in the palm of your hand within this book. And so it's, it's definitely a great, great read. Well, uh, Chris, let me finish by asking, what are you working on now? Uh, what's, what's on the horizon for you and your team that uh, you're excited about or able to talk about? Well, I got a couple of things. I'm doing a lot of coaching right now, and I'm actually helping an, another organization sort of with their culture mm-hmm. and helping improve it and going in and just working through simple things like, hey, as the leader, you need to, you know, there's 200 people in this organization. And you need to talk to them mm-hmm. <laughs> more than once a month. You know, it's little simple things like that. You know, I think so many companies out there could go from good to great, if I can steal that line, by just tweaking two or three things. And they would just be blown away by the um, amount of appreciation that their teams would show them. Um, But they're just kind of operating out of a sense of fear, uncertainty. And I think most of the time, these leaders don't understand if they would just communicate more, that their teams would get on board and they'd be willing to help them and be transparent with them. And in a sense... They don't do it intentionally. I think that as a leader, sometimes we get so busy, we forget. And if you would just stop and and spend some of that precious time you're using on your stuff and put it into your team and pour into your team, your team will do the rest. Just get out of their way. Well, the name of the book, again, is Hiring, Firing, and Creating an Amazing Team Culture for Leaders in a Hurry. His name is Chris Mefford. Chris, it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for your time and for sharing of your years and years of wisdom in, in this in this area. I appreciate it, Jeff. And if you go to chrismefford.com, you can uh, download the book, the ebook and the audio version, or you can go to Audible or Amazon and pay for it. Either one works for me. <laughs> I'll, of course, link to Chris's site and his book in the show notes page for this episode, along with the book's that he recommended and great ones they were. You can find all of that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 199 for episode 199. That's right. We are fast approaching episode number 200, and I am glad that you are along for the ride. Big thanks to Joe Ferraro, who in iTunes recently left a five-star rating and review. I happen to know Joe hosts his own podcast called The 1% Better Project at 1percentbetterproject.com. Thank you, Joe, for your kind words. Appreciate it very much. If you'd like to leave a rating and review, especially if it's a five-star rating and review, you can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes and write your comments and leave your star rating there. Thank you so much. That helps the podcast get noticed. Thanks again to our sponsors making this episode possible. Fresh Books with a free 30-day trial available to you. No obligation and access to 100% of Fresh Books features free for 30 days. 
days. Go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Thanks also to Gusto, a refreshingly easy payroll benefits and HR solution for the modern small business where you no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits and great service to take care of your team. Sign up today and you get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash read to lead. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 